Trash. Trash. Hey gang, welcome back to another episode of the We Speak English Good podcast. Today's guest is Mr. Christian Watson. He is a political commentator, a dynamic cultural thinker, and podcast host of the Pensive Politics Show. His show airs every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday nights on the Fed by Ravens Media Network at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and can be accessed on all podcasting platforms under the title Pensive Politics. He also appears as a regular contributor for the Bold TV Media Network. His daily cultural and political analysis can also be found on his YouTube page titled Christian Watson, which you can find a link in the show notes directly to his YouTube. He is an individualist by nature. Mr. Watson has hit the airwaves spreading the message of individual liberty and the philosophy of free thought to scores of audiences. He has appeared on Newsmax TV, Bold TV, BBC Radio London, and many more stations of note around the world. In digital media, Mr. Watson's commentary has reached thousands on YouTube involving collaborations with eminent voices like Dr. Carl Borsenko. Sorry, I'm saying that wrong, Christian. I am not as educated. <laughs> as Dr. Carlin is, Gothics, uh, and many more. Although a smaller part of his commentary output, Mr. Watson has appeared all across the digital print spectrum, USA Today, The Advocate Magazine, The Washington Examiner, The Washington Times. To name a few, it is his hope that you will join him on his pensive journey as he pursues his mission to bring intelligent philosophy, philosophical discourse to the pr pressing cultural and political issues of the contemporary age. This is right off of his, uh, his, his. Uh, what do you call it? his um, his website? He, uh, he, I, he was also just on uh, these Young Turks, and uh, he did a wonderful debate on them. I really respect Christian, uh, and one thing I know he's not gonna like, but it does come up, is that he's a young dude, and he has. Uh, I, I just dig his insight. I dig that he doesn't follow the normal, uh, you know, the identity politics thing where people have to feel a certain way about a subject because of the color of their skin or the, their gender or, or, or whatever they identify with. They have to sort of stay in that lane at risk of being ostracized, ostracized, ostracized and, uh, and, you know, just banished from the group. So I, I really dig that. Now, I, I do have to preface this conversation because I really dig what Christian does. And I, 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 I'm not sure how he feels about me, really. And honestly, I feel like I kind of, I kind of, should have been a little bit more attentive to my chat on this particular episode. Uh, although I have to say Christian is a little oversensitive about some of these things he was questioned on. Um, 
you know, so the, 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 again, Christian sort of leans towards conservative. And obviously, I'm pretty liberal, but I do have some conservative or what people would consider conservative ideas. And I, I, I did, you know, I, you know, I, I'm trying to wrestle between uh, our guest and uh, the chat in this one. And only because the chat was sort of, you know, I'm not saying calling him out, but they're definitely, you know, questioning what he was saying, which I have to say, you know, directly to Christian, if you're going to be in this arena, this political arena, you're going to have pushback. And this is something I told him in a private message. And this is something I told publicly, you know, on Twitter, because I put something on Twitter and I was just sort of going along with what he was saying. And, and I was agreeing with him. And he decided to say, you would know all about this. Your audience hated me or something. It was, I, I thought it was a little uncalled for. Christian, Mr. Watson. But it's okay. I get it. it, it it's, it's, it's civil discourse. Uh, Christian was nothing but respectful. I tried to show the same respect. He did feel disrespected by the chat for various reasons. And you'll find out, you know, as we go on there. But that is coming up shortly. Um, make sure you do go and follow Christian on all his social medias and his YouTube. All the links are in the show notes. I also want you to go ahead and check out his website, which is ChristianJWatson.com. And that's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-J-W-A-T-S-O-N.com. Uh, again, I respect Christian. I'm a fan of Christian, and I am not by any means trying to say that uh, Christian is not worth listening to. I am just stating that uh, maybe Christian's a little too sensitive about his criticism or pushback. That's all I'm saying, Christian. That's all I'm saying. Despite that, you you guys are going to love the conversation we're going to have here shortly. We talk a lot uh, about CRT or critical race theory and some other stuff, of course. And uh, uh, it's a good episode. It really is. And again, Christian is a very awesome and uh, political commentator and philosopher. I really dig what he does. So uh, I, I don't want anybody saying that I, I, I don't like Christian, even if he does get spicy with me. Uh, on the Twitters, <laughs> nothing wrong with Christian. He holds his. He, he he's a smart dude, and uh, he has a, a really cool political career in front of him. I I really do believe that he has a, a big career ahead of him. So, much love to you, Christian. And uh, I'm gonna follow up a little bit on the other side. I didn't want to go too far into my opinions about stuff because I don't want you guys to shape have a have a skewed opinion of, of a Christian before you listen to the episode. If you're interested on the follow-up, go ahead after the interview's done, go ahead and keep listening, and I'll let you know um, a little bit more in depth of, about, uh, you know, this interaction between me and Christian and the community. All right, so Christian will be coming up here shortly, but first go to BrainaMystique.com, R-E-I-N-A-M-Y-S-T-I-Q-U-E.com. Go check out her latest single called Where Are You Now? Uh, you can also find Raina on Twitch four days a week at twitch.tv slash Mystique. She streams Monday through Thursday, 8 a.m. to 11 a.m.-ish. And uh, yeah, she's killing it. She also does takelessons.com, so you can find Raina Mystique on takelessons.com if you are interested to sign up and take personal vocal lessons with uh, the queen herself. 
You can also find We Speak English Good on Twitch as well. We stream every Monday and Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We also add extra days to do live music streams. We live stream gigs on that channel. We do all kinds of cool stuff. We play games, win prizes, do all the things. So let me know if you guys uh, are in chat when you come over because I really want to say hi to you guys. I really love seeing listeners come over to the live stream if you are able to make it. I know podcasts is, is, is cool because you can listen to it anytime, anywhere. But live stream, you have to really be involved. So I, I get it. I get it. Sometimes live stream is hard. But do come over. Do subscribe. Do come and support. And just know that any money goes into the show, goes right back. Any money you guys give uh, on the Twitch channel or on the thread list all goes back into keeping the show awesome. So uh, much appreciated. If you are uh, interested in monetarily giving, you can go buy some merch. Yeah, go buy merch. I, I don't want you to just give me money for free. I, I, I want you to just I want you to buy merch and, and enjoy the merch. So go and check out our merch at thread. We speak English good. Threadless.com. There's a link in the show notes. Go support the show. You can also support the show by like, uh, subscribing, and review. Uh, like us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, uh, uh, Twitter, Instagram, all of the things. Go go like us on that. All the links are in the show notes. You can subscribe to us on Apple iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Please like or follow uh, and share the content. You can also subscribe to us on YouTube and on Twitch. Uh, you can also, if, if you want to support the show for free and you love the show, please give us a five-star rating or write a comment in the or review, write an actual review, and we'll read them on air. You can write the show, we speak English good at gmail.com. And uh, let us know what you're thinking, how we're doing. Uh, let us know if you thought this conversation got a little too spicy. Uh, and that's it. I, I don't know who's coming on next week, guys. I, I don't know. I'm trying. All I know is next week I am out. Uh, I I'm out of town. I thought I had a couple more weeks, but apparently I have a little bit over a week. And that fucking uh, is a, it's a little stressful only because I, uh, I have a lot to do. I have a lot to do before I leave. So... Uh, that's what I'm going to be doing is keep my head in the, the laptop and, and editing and, and doing stuff. So this can be a seamless. It's supposed to be a vacation, but really it's going to be a workcation. Um, going to see Dave Matthews Band in, at the Gorge in Washington and then driving back with Matt Suarez music to go to Willie Town where he is playing there on the Twitch stage, which I may or may not jump on with him which i'm gonna try to press my way in there because fuck that matt i want to play at willie town don't be fucking with me boy all right <laughs> that is enough out of me i know that was quite a long intro but uh again if you're interested a little bit more on a on a debriefing uh of this conversation go ahead and let the let the podcast roll past the the conversation and into the final monologue or the closing monologue. So, all right, guys, I'll see you on the other side. Please put your hands together for the incredibly intelligent and well-spoken Mr. Christian Watson.
This is a music podcast, so I did want to start with a softball here, and 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 you know, like you you were saying something about music at the beginning, and uh, you were married to X. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, she knows, Robbie. She knows. Uh, but yeah, the uh, you were saying something at the beginning of music, and I, I was just curious: is there is there a particular genre, or is there a um, is there a particular type of music that you gravitate to? I, I imagine classical. But uh, <laughs> why do you imagine classical? Just because it's the opening for your your show is classical, and you're smart, and 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 smart people listen to classical music. Me, I, really, I, I, I don't listen to classical. No, I do actually listen to classical. <laughs> I love classical music. I love jazz and stuff like that. But I, I'm curious of you. I, I'm just assuming shit right now. So please f- fill us in. Where where do well, you live? Well, uh, so I would be I would be remiss if I didn't say that some of the most hauntingly beautiful music that I have heard has come from the classical genre. Yes, absolutely. You know, listening to Bach most mm. of the time, you know, if I had hair, it'd be standing up. I don't have hair, though, so again, it really doesn't really stand up. <laughs> um, but do I listen to that regularly? No. When I was young, when I was much younger, I'm, I'm 21 right now. Mm. So when I was like 14, 13, maybe I listened to that a little bit more. Mm. Uh but even then, I, I like have words with music. So I first of all, I love music. I think music is is wonderful. Um, formerly, I used to be solely a classic rock guy. I used to be a guy who would only listen to Billy Joe, Rod Stewart, Neil Young, yeah. Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, Cream, Eric Clapton, Elton John. I had a huge thing for Elton ZZ John, Top. You, you like ZZ I had Top? A, I never, I never, I haven't listened. I haven't oh, listened. Man, you're missing out. I, I, you're missing but out. I, I had a huge thing for Elton John. Actually, mm. I, when I was 14, I actually had a shirt with Elton John, uh, Captain Fantastic, the cover from that album on there. Yeah. I had a huge thing for Elton John. I, I listened to almost all of his albums. Actually, not almost. I have listened to all of his albums. I used to have a thing for like live recording. So I, I would listen to most of his concerts as well oh, from yeah. particular eras. Um, you know, I had, I had a huge thing for him. Now the, the detriment to that was I, I basically only listened to Elton John music. <laughs> My phone used to have only Elton John performances and songs on them. So I never really got exposed to other people, God. but as I got, I kept getting exposed to other people. My, my interest shifted and changed. Um, I also really have a thing for R and B, which is probably not surprising, but <laughs> I like R and B a lot, particularly nineties R and B. I think all that stuff is great as well. Um, you know, and I like some, you know, I like I like music that folks would probably consider not to be very thoughtful or pensive, but, you know, a little bit more <laughs> risque. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm not sure how familiar you are with 90s R&B, but I, I really like 90s R&B. Um, I also I actually like, had Melvin uh, Riley on the show from um, Melvin Riley. Uh, oh, Sheila. Dun, 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 dun. Oh my God! What's the name? Uh, Ready for the world. Ready for the world. I have okay. He's oh, amazing. Okay. Awesome. No, yeah, I, so absolutely. I, I, like, I absolutely love that stuff. And and yeah, I, I like nice. I, I have an affinity for that type of music. I mean, like uh, we speak English good is also a music. I, I do that under music name as well, but it's WSUG. Yeah. And it's and it's all planning to be like that synthy type of pop stuff. And I actually do want to create an entire like '90s or late 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 '80s, you know, like SWV type uh, of. Oh, album SWV as well. is wonderful. Yes, SWV absolutely. on on Vogue, Escape, oh, all of them. Yeah. Jodeci, Jagged Edge, every single one of them. I Bobby Brown, Keith Sweat. Hey. I mean, all that kind of stuff really gets. I I shouldn't be listening to some of that stuff, but. <laughs> you, what, really... but, but why, Christian? Why shouldn't you be listening? Well, to that? okay. Some of those artists, all they're talking about is one thing. We know what that one thing is. Hey, and hearing, <laughs> hey, it makes the world go round, that, man. 
Uh, it, it does. It does. But yeah, so all that, all that stuff. I like, I like all that stuff. Um, mm. So I've, I've, I'm listening to more of that. I also like some contemporary jazz. Mm. Um, so Harry Connick Jr. I'm a fan of his, uh, although I think he's gone off the rails recently. I mean, he released a pandemic album where he, and he did a performance where he was playing all the instruments on the stage by himself. He's like running around the <laughs> stage and like playing everything. Yeah. I'm like, are you all right, man? Is everything okay? <laughs> um, are you, is everything all right, dude? I mean, I understand COVID and everything, but where's your band, man? You're just like running on the stage, you're yeah. panting, blowing into the trumpets, playing the <laughs> piano, and like you know, all the judges on American Idol are just sitting there clapping yes. their hands. I'm like, no, so on, brave, keep. so brave. And uh, yeah, I also I have a thing for '80s power ballads as well. Ooh, so yes. people like uh, Bonnie, Bonnie Tyler. There was this man who used to do them as well. I forgot what his name was, but I liked him as well. There's a uh, um, uh, and she's not really a power ballad person. She's more of a, a rock person, but Pat Benatar, oh, yeah. I have a thing for, for her as well. I think that she's awesome. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, and M- Michael Bublé, who was more in the jazz, mm. contemporary pop jazz. I, I like him as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my, my interests are everywhere, yeah. quite literally everywhere. Um, there are, there are a few kind of music types of music that I will just not listen to though. I will not listen to trap. Um, I just, I can't stand it. I can't stand Fair it. Enough. I Fair can't enough. stand, you know, Yo, Yo Gotti and Lil, Lil Pump and uh, oh. well, well, all, all these Lils and, 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 what and about, Nas's. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on though. What about the baby? Have you heard about the I baby? can't stand the baby. Have I can't you, stand that. Did, did you uh, hear you know, what oh, happened with it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I heard about that, you know, about the gay thing. Mm-hmm. And before that, there was um, a, a proceeding, a proceeding controversy about how apparently he wasn't being nice to a few kids who were trying to sell him something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I know about the baby. I don't really look. Both of those things don't really I, I, I couldn't care less. But uh, what is that, that? That one song he talks about destroying people's mail. Um, Shug, yeah, Shug. We're talking about he's destroying people's mail and stuff, committing, mm. you know, theft. Uh, look, I, I'm just not really into all that. Yeah, stuff. of course. But a lot I mean, of folks my age go to the club and they pump it up to that kind of stuff. You yeah, know? yeah. Uh, and and so that's their thing, but no, that, not 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 my thing. Well, that and that's fine, no, right? Like no that's sir. like who, it's, you know, no one can be mad at you for not liking the baby. I like some, hip-hop. except for behind that I suit think, says that that's a. Uh, that you should like the he said that's slanderous that you don't like the baby man uh, i don't <laughs> i don't know how much i could anyway i like some hip hop though mm-hmm. so yeah. i think even though i think suge knight let me not let me try not to get whacked here and i don't know <laughs> i don't think against suge knight i don't want to get whacked don't whack me please um i don't want to get whacked cuz he has a tendency to do that um i i even though suge knight has some questionable past activities mm-hmm. I think a lot of things that came out of Death Row Records were pretty good. Absolutely. Just just, just being honest. Absolutely. I think that NWA, I think they had something with Death Row Records for a while. Um, I think they're pretty good. Uh, Ice-T, yeah. I think Ice-T, New Jack Hustler. I mean, uh, when I, I, I like the kind of, of music that tells a story. Yeah. Uh, not a story that is romanticized and glamorized and unrealistic mm-hmm. when ice T's talking about being a new Jack hustler, he's talking about the kind of principles and values that he had to embody in his neighborhood. And he's asserting that part of himself into who he is. And even if you disagree with those principles and values, um, it's an honest account of his life. 
So, I mean, I think that a lot of these musicians, um, the old school hip hop, had something to say. Yeah. You know, Tupac talking about Jenny has a baby, talking about the pan, the, the crisis of inner city youth having kids before they're ready. Yeah. That's has, that's something you have to, have to say. You know, CeeLo Green, I, I still admire and love CeeLo Green, but, you know, he used to be with the Gooby Mob, and and when he went solo, he, he made a, a record called uh, CeeLo Green's Wonderful Something Something. I forgot what it was called. I think it was his first solo album ever made. And he rapped in that, and that was wonderful. He he, he had a lot of things to say. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a, basically an album about, you know, individualism, asserting yourself, understanding mm-hmm. who you are. Um. So yeah, there's some there are some hip hop people that I can really, really get into. Yeah. Then there are others who I'm like, how in the world? <laughs> well, again, uh, I guess my guilty pleasure. I guess I mean I'm not sure you probably have heard of her, but there's this uh, lady called Cupcake. Cupcake. I'm not sure if you've heard. Yeah, I yeah. Not. This, I this rapper not. called Cupcake. I bet behind I think, that uh, I, I, I think uh, I think she's great. <laughs> what kind of what she uh, do like what uh she, she she's she's more she's rap she's not trapping she's rapping she uh you know she has some risque songs ah. uh well she okay so she started off with some very risque overly sexual songs okay but then she moved on to more um moved on to more um serious stuff she moved on to more serious stuff talking about a lot of social issues but you know when she began she was you know doing stuff on camera that was questionable probably mm. she was um making overtly sexual songs for clicks gotcha. but she kind of reeled in yeah and that's her right there she kind of reeled in an audience that cared about what she had to say oh that's cool um so i like her i like i think that she's great um we don't agree politically always but that's fine but i think that she's great she has some great songs like scraps and um uh cartoons and just some good stuff that is high quality rhythm and flow. So, yeah, I point is there are some hip hop people that I can handle, mm. and others where I'm just like, who gave you a budget for the music video? <laughs> who, who who gave you an advance for this album? Um, uh, you know what? What? I mean, and, and here's the thing though, a lot of these rappers mm. tend to allow a lot of younger suburban kids to get involved in this fantasy, right? Mm. So when you, when Yo Gotti is talking about uh, how he tells all of his, you know what, to break it up, a lot of these young suburban kids are like doing all these gang symbols with their hands mm. and like pretending as if they also have a group of women who are scantily clad and dressed that they can also get them to break it up. I mean, it's just, it's a fantasy. Rap mm. music is a big fantasy a lot of times. And that's the problem with modern day rap music, in my opinion. And this is actually a point that CeeLo Green made uh, when he first began his solo career back in 2005-2006. But he kind of, I mean, CeeLo Green was in the video for Yo Gotti's song, It Goes Down the DMs. Mm. So I kind of, he kind of <laughs> lost respect for me because <laughs> you're going <laughs> to criticize rappers for talking about superfluous shit, yeah. this is my language, and then you're going to yeah, go ahead and you're going to be involved. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, that's my, that's my review of music as a whole if you have any <laughs> questions along that regard please ask them well no i i i'm 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 interested because you know like you mentioned nwa and ice t and mm. these artists were you know they were it, they were they were attempted to be canceled back in the 90s by mm-hmm. tipper gore and they were you yep. know strutted oh, yeah. out in front of congress and stuff and they were just speaking truth to power speaking truth to their lives and stuff and 
you know, I don't know. You know, there's a lot of people now who are getting canceled for speaking to power, telling their truths, and yep. they're being canceled. You know, um, how, what what do you think about cancel culture and how it's sort of taken such a prevalent place in the world, and uh, especially with artists, which I am so against. Well, I will just refrain from giving you my opinion. I'd rather hear yours. So. Uh, what do you think about it, well, especially in the art and in, in, in the expression um, side of it? So cancel culture has been around since the dawn of civilization. Mm. For as long as there have been social groups or individuals within social groups, because really individuals are the core of social groups. Groups themselves do not have a consciousness. Individuals have consciousness. So for as long as there have been individuals and social groups with, with, with contrary values, there has been a desire to force those values onto other people or to make those values dominant vis-a-vis force. So we can see this even, let's let's go into more colonial history. What happened when someone displeased um, the the, the general sense of the village? If the village didn't like someone or someone did something that was morally abominable to the people in the village, well, you could just be exiled from the village. You go out to the wilderness, you have nowhere to go. You become food for the bears, and you become you can become a, a sort of a sort of a, a sort of slave to circumstance yeah. as well. And so ex- exile used to be you know death. Now you get exiled today. You know plenty plenty of people get exiled today, and they're, they're just fine. But right. back <laughs> then, know. when you had self contained villages were self contained units, right. and a lot of the resources that you would get in your life, a lot of sustenance you would get in life required required the community. Right. You go away, you die. Mm-hmm. Um, more contemporarily, or actually, let's go, let's go back to the ancients as well. Socrates, I think one of uh, Socrates, one of the most prescient uh, philosophical voices, probably one of the the most influential philosophers in the Western canon, primarily due to his Socratic dia- um, dialogue, his sort of challenging of of, of established beliefs, which has come to define a lot of uh, a lot of contemporary philosophy. Yeah. He was counseled for making people yeah. question the established norms of the Athenian. The Athenians believed in gods and everything, and they believed in certain norms. Socrates called all of them into question. Um, you had the folk singers, and by the way, I like folk music as well. Folk music is wonderful. Yeah, 1960s American revival folk music, particularly. Um, so we have Woody Guthrie, you have Bob Dylan, you have Pete Seeger, you have um, Peter, Paul, and Mary, you have um, John uh, uh, yes, yeah, Johnny, Johnny Mitchell. You have a man who just uh, who just passed. Um, his name is blanking on me, but he just passed, and he wrote a song called "Your Flag to Cow Will Not Get You Into Heaven Anymore." John Prine, John Prine, John Prine. John Prine. Yeah, John had Absolutely. John Prine. You had all these brilliant visionaries again, and Phil Oaks can't forget Phil Oaks. Cannot forget Bob Dylan either. You have all these brilliant visionaries, many of whom were very, you know, not again, not my cup of tea politically, <laughs> but they still were speaking. Their values and their opinions, and some and some instances they were right. Many of them spoke about censorship and everything like that. Many of them were dragged um, towards Nixon and McCarthy's tribunals, the House on Un- American Affairs Committee, and they were accused of being communist. That's cancel culture. Yeah, so we ha- we have cancel culture in every or the obscenity laws of the '90s, which yeah. brought a lot of rap groups before courts. Right. That's also cancel culture. Um, Jack Thompson, this crazy um, ultra right wing attorney who wanted to sue uh, video game companies for making violent video games, um, that was cancel culture as well. Cancel culture has always existed. It always will exist. Now, the problem with our modern iteration of cancel culture is that it has it has become more 
widely effective with the advent of the digital age, mm. right? So with the internet around and with the ability to transcend time and space, you know, with the click of a button, the effects of cancel culture can be felt more, more, more clearly. If you're back in the 1950s where they have a bunch of people who are being called communists being drugged before congressional committees, then if you're in the middle of Nebraska and you don't have any, there was no internet back then, you really didn't know follow politics, it didn't affect you. But now if you're in the middle of Nebraska and work for a corporation and there's this woke group trying to get that corporation to institute certain speech or thought policies, it affects you now. So things are more widely dispersed with the advent of the internet. That's why I think cancel culture has become, has been a number one labeled in that with that colloquial term Mm. and number two talked about so much, but it's not really any more prevalent than it was, um, in the 50s, 60s, 70s. That's not to say that it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. It's a huge deal. Right. It needs to be fought. But it's not a new thing. Right. It's an ancient thing, which unfortunately has a new face, right? Yeah. What did Billy uh, Idol say? Eyes are the face, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of how I feel about this, right? The the face that had no eyes, uh, according to Billy Idol, now has eyes. It has, it has a mouth, has everything. It has all the features that were alien to it. And those features are making us say, whoa. The face had no eyes. Yeah. What's going on here? Yeah. So. so, so then, you know, like, I, I, and I, I understand that this is something that's been prevalent for a long time, but, but like yeah. you said, that the, the, with the advent of, of technology and, and the internet and how reliable that these things are, how much it's being relied upon, um, do you think that? You know, with social media, especially with you know big tech collusion, especially colluding with our with our government, colluding with mainstream media and stuff. Do you think that this is um this is something that um I know you said we should fight it, but do you think that it, it's 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 kind of getting out of control in a way that is is um not reversible? I'm, no, it's 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 reversible, all right. I think it's reversible. Mm-hmm. The problem is. When things become fashions, they're a little bit harder to beat back. But the problem is most Americans, as far as I understand, don't buy into cancer culture. Most Americans do not buy into censorious speech. Let's not forget, America is still a right-leaning country. Mm. It is still a country with individuals who believe in our bedrock principles of life and liberty and property and and natural rights. Most people still believe in these things. Now, a lot of those people are kind of neglected for the urbanites who reside in, in, in the, on the, both the coasts. And, hey, I'm not attacking the urbanites. I am myself an urbanite. I like urban areas. I think that their amenities are pretty damn nice. I can't stand rural areas. But but <laughs> I, I understand that most people in urban areas tend to be, I mean, stat-wise, tend, tend to be more left-leaning. And so that those part of the country, also they tend to have a more higher population distribution in those areas of the country than the Midwest. Mm. So those part of the countries are are able to voice their opinions a little bit louder than folks who are, who are in middle America, who are lovingly called um, uh, flyover country. <laughs> so I think that's what you're, I think that's what you're seeing. You're seeing a lot of people in those, in those quarters of the country uh, embrace woke philosophy, then use that woke philosophy in their everyday life, whether it's in, particularly in institutions. Um, but, you know, we haven't, we have, again, 
this has been going on for a very long time. I mean, as far back as the 90s, I mean, there was a debate on William F. Buckley, who was, in my opinion, one of the most brilliant political commentators to ever grace America. There was a debate on firing line uh, talking about uh, speech codes on campuses. And there were people from the left and the right debating on if there should be speech codes on campuses. And there was this one professor back in the 90s that said, yes, you know, speech can be violence and that that should be taken seriously and it should require legislation to protect marginalized people who may not have had the the force or the resources to fight back against such violence. And this is an idea espoused by critical race theorist Mary Matsuda in a uh, in, in a book that she did alongside Kimberly Crenshaw, Richard Delgado, and John Stefanik, who were also all her fellow travelers in the critical race theory sphere, called, called Words That Wound. And there is also a paper she did back in the 90s called A Response to the First Amendment or an Examination of the First Amendment, where she says, yes, there are some people in America, Black individuals, who have not had the power to fight back against these sort of um, these sort of aggressive types of speech. And when, if we can ascertain that these aggressive types of speech have actually impacted them mentally, we can therefore say there's an aggression being committed here that law, if it is properly and critically understood, not as, not as it is traditionally understood, as it is critically understood, can make an impact to protect them. So this is an idea that simply is getting more steam yeah. because ideas can be more easily dispersed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I forgot who it was. Um, I, I blanked on my philosophical references all the, all the time. Oh, no, it was Frederick Douglass. I mean, Frederick Douglass actually said in a, in a speech called, what is the 4th of July to the Negro? He mm-hmm. said that he has hope for America yeah. uh, because as time persists, the avenues by which, and I'm paraphrasing here, the avenues by which we transmit ideas will be broader. Well, federalists never have never have imagined in a world where the airs the airways were not accessible to us through any technological device, in a world where humans were still rooted to the ground, rooted to trains and steamboats and engines, and not able to fly. He could have never imagined the fast pace of ideas that would happen today. But there's also an inverse to that. Whereas America has more potential now that its ideas can be more easily dispersed, information has been democratized. America has also more potential for bad ideas to come because bad ideas can use those same lanes of travel. Mm-hmm. So that's what's happening here. And it's not irreversible. It seems like that because a lot of us look at Twitter or the internet and we say, okay, this seems bad. But we need to, uh, as one of my favorite writers, Rosalind Lane said, who also played a role in writing the Little House in the Prairie series, we need to look more at observation, more at Americans, and less at graphs, less at digital interfaces, less at charts. Because when we observe things empirically, we oftentimes get a very different story and a very different sense of the country than we would looking at it through the filter of a digital box. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and, and like when you when you see these Twitter pylons, you got to keep in mind that this is like what? you know, Like sometimes it's it's uh, it's like a tax where it's like yes. a couple people um, and, yep. and they just make all these accounts and they and they attack. And then sometimes it's 20 people who go after Pepsi who are like, you better do something about this. So it, it, it does seem like it's a majority of the people. But you're absolutely right. I, I'm in the Midwest and the most of the people I talk to, most of the people that you know like they are not into this kind of censorship they're not into this kind of uh th- this kind of ideas like you know and, and then of course when you bring in the idea of critical race theory in the schools you know there's this huge panic and like there's a bunch of people who are like oh no they're gonna teach our kids these things and in which 
I don't necessarily disagree that these things should be taught, but I definitely think that we should be examining these. And like, it, it's just, I know that just being in the proximity that I am, that this is not really the the feeling of the whole country. And uh, right. it, it's, it, it's, it's really weird. And so I guess, you know, with bringing up critical race theory in the in the schools and stuff like that, um, could you kind of like give us a quick overview of what critical race theory is, and then sort of what uh, you know this this panic that's going on with people, you know, on the uh, it's coming from the right, you know, where people are really freaked out, but that their kids going to go to school, and you know, their little white little white Johnny's going to go to school and come home and call them bigots and say I'm a racist piece of crap. How do I make them, you know, like this whole thing, so, you know, it, it's just this panic going on. And, and I don't think it's necessarily that. But uh, please uh, give us sort of a breakdown of what critical race theory is and then sort of how it's being implemented. If you're familiar with that, I, I think you are. You talk about yeah. you talk about this stuff. So uh, please. Yeah. So I was actually debating Dr. Rashad Ritchie on a network called the Young Turks Network. I'm not sure if you know the Young Turks. Yes, but, um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he has a show on there. I actually was just debating him about this very topic. That's awesome. And uh, Rashad Ritchie is one of the one of the most, I think, articulate defenders of progressive values, including the woke school of thought. And I think that we had a spirited and fruitful conversation about this. Most of his guests actually just get ran over because he's very rhetorically slick. Mm. But rhetorically slick doesn't work with me because I'm I'm looking for the truth. Right. Anyway, that's a separate question. Yeah, um, but- yeah, so critical race theory is a sort of academic mechanism um, that came out of the late 70s, early 80s, developed by a legal theorist who believed that the, that the civil rights movement – Um, left out some very important things when it related to the fates and conditions of African-Americans in the country. They believe that the civil rights movement actually um, allowed white supremacy, um, which they believe is a a, a sort of constant adversary of of black existence in America, to go off the hook by pushing colorblindness. And that also, in their opinion, the colorblind approach um, also impaired the ability for people to actually fix what they call the racially caused disparity, the racist disparity, which are called by racism um, in the country, which are still impacting black folks. So it's basically this sort of legal critique of the civil rights movement in this attempt to develop a mechanism by which to examine and deconstruct American institutions uh, to, to see um, the extent of their racism and the extent of their role in oppression and power. So essentially this commentary as well on power and privilege. And so when people say that critical race theory is being taught in schools, they're not saying that Delgado and Crenshaw, people, two people through academics who actually helped establish critical race theory and who have been working on the theory for decades, are teach, are, are being taught in elementary school or, or, sec, or you know, middle school or high school. What they're saying is, that the principles of critical race theory are being expressed through through certain mechanisms, the most visible of which is the 1619 Project, Mm -hmm. and the founder of whom, Nicole Hannah-Jones, has gleefully proclaimed that slavery was foundational to America, and the um, editor of New York Magazine, right before in the preface of the project, also said that we need to reframe history through a Black narrative to view the history of America 
America as not a history of freedom, but a history of a false bill of goods, of oppression that had been given to Black Americans. That is a critical race theory project without actually saying it's a critical race theory project. That project was immediately adapted upon its release in classrooms across Chicago, Washington, D.C., New York City, and over over uh, 3,500 classrooms in the country. And so what you see in school boards across America, what you see in the media across America, you see parents saying this is not okay. We see parents saying it is not okay to have this sort of reductive view of America, a, a, a ruthless view of our institutions, and to teach these views as fact in our schools. Look, if you want to have a variety of perspectives addressing the very perilous and, and, and complex history of slavery and race in America, go for it. The, the classroom is appropriate for that. But the 1619 Project is not a compendium of diverse intellectual views. The 1619 Project is a deconstructive, radical, uh, radical in the bad way, not in the good way, radical opinion of America that is on one single continuum, one single line of thought that has many different areas. So the 619 Project is a curriculum. And in that curriculum, there are several essays. Um, Yale professor Matthew Desmond actually wrote an essay critiquing capitalism as antithetical to black existence. Then there are also other essays uh, where they critique roads and sugar and all kinds of other things as all being products of racism. And these essays follow the critical race theory mechanism of critiquing institutions or critiquing the products of institutions to determine the extent of the racism by presuming they have racism involved in them. So it begins with a presumption that they don't back up through any kind of argumentation. They just presuppose it and then move on with their arguments. The problem with presupposing a premise is that you don't know if the premise is true or false. And if the premise is false, the rest of your arguments, the laws logical to be observed, falls apart. So, yes, critical race theory is being taught in schools in a roundabout way. It's very obvious. The empirical data would say so. And that's not okay. Uh, if it was being taught, not as fact, but simply as a part of a wide array of approaches, fine. But critical race theory itself does not want to be a part of a wide variety of approaches. Critical race theory prescribes certain certainties about the American life, and therefore it is not suitable to any context in which true, diverse academic inquiry is to take place. So even in the, even in, in the context that would be most fruitful for it, for it to be in, involved, critical race theory has no place in the classroom. At all, and 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 so, are, do you think that critical race theory, in this context of, of what you just said, the sixteen nineteen project, do you think this is a this is this is harming uh, America, and and why do you think? I mean, you're against yeah. it, obviously. So I'm just oh, yeah. curious. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so there are many different ways that critical race theory. Well, okay. What do you mean harming America? What does well, that mean? Well, I, I guess I guess yeah, you're right. That was a very general question. Um, do you think that it is harming America in a way that is keeping keeping people kind of confused about what I don't I, harming America in a way that that uh, is damn. How do how do I frame this? Take your time, brother. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, is it harmful in a way that that people are making it out to be, especially when you hear from like right wing people? Uh, do you think it is harming people? Do you really think it is turning 
kids against you know uh, kids against parents. Do, do you do you think that that is actually happening, or do you think that is sort of a a panic? Again, like this, is, I'm, I'm using the word panic a lot because it you know what if you watch like Fox News or something, and I'm not hating on Fox News. I'm just saying you know. Uh, you you would think that this is this is the this is rotting the core of society right now, so I mean, do you think that that is what it's doing, and, and do you agree yeah. that this is this is yeah. sort of rotting the core, and, and yeah. why is that? Right. Okay. So look, um, let me just say something. As someone who is a fledgling political commentator uh, and who works in media every day of his life. All media, progressive and right-wing media, and I work in I work in conservative media, and I happily do so. Um, but all media, progressive and right-wing, right-wing media, are based on a few metrics. One of them being the metric of outrage or clickbait. Mm. I usually click it for my channel, even. So I mean, these are just metrics that are used in media to get views and to get clicks. Now, it's it is true that sometimes clickbait can be overly exaggerated and can conceal the truth, which is not, which is dangerous to actually understanding a subject because we have to understand the truth of a subject before we can really critique it. Mm. However, it is also true that just because a car is beat up and not really presentable, or just because a car seems deceptive does not mean its contents are deceptive. Mm. So I can go, I can have a, 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 a broken down, a belly that is mostly just broken down in a lemon. It can look really nice, but am I to be held as deceptive because I'm, I'm, I'm driving a vehicle, which looks nice on the outside, but actually it doesn't work. No, I'm just, I'm, I'm driving a vehicle and maybe misleading, but if we look under the hood, we'll know what the truth is and what the truth isn't. And the truth is critical race theory Perhaps not how it is being said in the public discourse, but in a certain way is most certainly being taught in schools. And it's not a panic. I think that is actually um, it's it's an acknowledgement of the rot that academia has been pushing mm. and putting into the pipeline um, from from education to the workforce. And, and we see that evident in the fact that many corporations now have diversity, equity and inclusion initiatives corporations. Mm. Many places in the workforce now have diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. Equity being the idea that there are certain groups, again, seeing people as groups on individuals, certain groups of people um, who have certain advantages because of, of the historical condition of folks who look like them, not really taking into account the condition of them, their own lives. Mm. And those groups, by virtue of their historical disadvantages, need to be advantaged over other groups who may have had historical advantages. That's a critical race theory idea. Mm-hmm. That's a critical race theory idea. So no, it's not really a panic or a moral panic. It mm-hmm. really it, it grinds my gears when I uh, when I when I hear a lot of folks say that it's mm-hmm. not really a moral panic. Okay. It is a very real phenomenon that is being pushed and has been pushed for a very long time. By the mm-hmm. way, it's not new, but it's only being recognized now because President Trump had the guts to sign an executive order to try to get rid of it and and federally funded initiatives. Um, which was signed up by Joe Biden when he came into office. Uh, in fact, you've seen Joe Biden and his, his his administration trying to push several instances of critical race theory down people's throats, whether it's the education grant they were forced to resign, where they, which said, you have to, if you're going to teach American civics history, uh, you have to, if you want to get our grant, you have to teach even Max Kendi. You mm-hmm. have to teach anti-racism. You have to teach all these authors. Like, like, like seriously, they were, they were yeah. saying that in the grant. Wow. And they were forced to resign that recently because wow. um, of the public outrage. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Whether it's, you know, it, it's just 
this thing is pervasive. Mm. Now, is it dominating every aspect of American society? No, 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 no. Very few issues do. Yeah. Very few, except wartime. Wartime tends to dominate every aspect of American society. World War II basically captured the American life. A lot of, a lot of uh, under Roosevelt's plan, a lot of factories and businesses were actually militarized mm. to produce weapons for our war efforts in Europe. Yeah, right and here in that's, Detroit that's the, and, uh, and yeah. Uh, Flint. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there was a lot yeah. of R- R- Rosie the Riveter. Right. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I'm not, I'm not, I don't really feel very kindly about any of that kind of stuff. Going into people's property and saying, "Hey, you go work for us," now it's kind of right. immoral. But <laughs> point aside, point aside, we, we'll, we'll I'll critique Roosevelt later. I, I could I could spend an entire episode doing that. Point 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 aside, there are very few political issues mm. that dominate and direct the lives of everyday Americans. Right. This doesn't do that holistically, but in some ways it does. Mm. In some ways it does because the schools, schools are a pervasive part of our lives. They're a ubiquitous part of the American life. And if schools are under the allure of certain intellectual forces, that can have an impact. Now, is it turning son against daughter and daughter against son? I don't know about that. I've never, I've never, I've not looked at any data. I've not looked at any Mm. observation. You see, I don't like to rationalize. Rationality and reason are great, but I want to see things. I think that empiricism is the empiricism. So, so Immanuel Kant said that all knowledge begins with observation, but not all knowledge arises from an observation. Um, well, I disagree. I think that if knowledge begins with observation, you can conclude that knowledge also arises from observation as well. Mm. Uh, I can't, just because I can see something does not mean I can I can accurately picture that something in 17 different circumstances. So just because I can see a tree outside does not mean that same tree would be able to survive in the desert. It may, it may not be able to survive in the desert. But I understand that how through observing how trees in my area, which is a pretty posh green area, uh, grow and how trees in Nevada grow. Mm. So observation is the focal point of understanding the world. So I want to observe things. And through observation, I've not been able to discern if folks are turning against mother or mother against son or whatever. I don't know. But I do know that these ideas are radicalizing people. Yeah. Um, against the foundations of the American Republic, and that's a bad thing. Um, uh, one uh, Cartagena says uh, out of chat was saying basically teaching an opposing view of traditional white history is bad. I think that's a question. What is what is that? What is traditional white history? I don't understand what that means. I'm there is sure. no single racial history. Okay, so let's just let, let, let's make this down. Okay. The Pilgrims, the Puritans, and the Quakers, mm. all three predominantly white groups, which played a very big role in the formation of colonial America. All three of those groups were so different. The Puritans had a very fiery understanding of theology that was unforgiving and wanted people to, to, to die if they didn't have, have, their, have their opinions. Mm. The Pilgrims immigrated from Europe to be able to practice their religion in isolation and solitude, and they made their villages very insular so that other folks couldn't come in and practice their religion. The Quakers were a very forgiving, disgusting, sort of intellectual, contemplative, do-gooding kind of faith. All of them were white, but all of them were radically different, and all of their histories are radically different. You cannot append history to a race because race is not a descriptive term. Race is a meaningless term and given power by people who wanted to oppress certain kinds of people. And there have been people who have forgotten that principle and have taken race and how they have oppressed their intellect by believing in it. It's a lie. It's a grievous lie. Hmm. 
It's a grievous lie. Racist skin colors have no meaningful difference in terms of who we are and our humanity. So I don't I reject the idea of white history. There is no white history. There is no black history. There is history. Yeah. And there are individuals who happen to be a part of that history, but their skin color is immaterial to what happened in that history, in my opinion. So when you hear things like black on black crime, do you look at that as like, no, it's not back black on black crime. It is just crime. Is that is, are you under that philosophy as well? Yeah, I think that it's. So, yeah. So I think it's a little bit different, though. Mm-hmm. I think because right. because typically people who live closer to each other tend to tend to mess with other people who are like look, look like them. Right. That's Proximity. But yeah. but but. If we're going to use these racial terms in the first place, mm-hmm. then it's probably important to mention that a lot of – that there is a disproportionate amount of black people killing other black people. Now, is it because of their race? No. No, it's not. Mm-hmm. So I, so in that sense, I would not essentialize race to be anything of value other than being a mere descriptor of a different kind of action. Yeah. Um, right. There is no uh, – there is no sort of descriptive kind of – thing about their race, which would explain why they're killing each other. Mm-hmm. Unless you're a racist and you believe that certain behaviors that black people have are linked to genetic inferi- inferiority. Right. This is what the race realist crowd believes. I think they're nonsense. Yeah. They're, they're, they're liars. Ridiculous people. Um, yeah, yeah, they're liars. Yeah. So I think that they're just misguided people. Um, so that's, that's putting it lightly. So yeah, I think that sometimes <laughs> it may be okay uh-huh. to use descriptors to describe something that is proximal to a certain kind of action. Mm. But the problem is when descriptors, when aesthetics becomes a moral and ethical judgment. Let me put this into more simple terms. So when a lot of people say there are racial disparities, Mm. they are using the racial part of those disparities to make a judgment about the morality and or the cause of those disparities without considering that the racial part of those disparities may be insignificant to the actual cause of the disparity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's how I handle that. Well, you know, like you keep on talking about like individualism and, and stuff like that and, and stuff like that, but, but individualism and, and, and um, this sort of utilitarian, Thing that's coming about, and, and I'm reading, I am reading utilitarianism. Utilitarian. Well, I'm. I'm well, no, I'm. I'm. I'm just saying. I'm sorry. I'm building up to a point, and maybe I misused oh, okay, that sorry. word. I'm sorry. Uh, but but I'm reading Robin D'Angelo's book, White Fragility, just because I I I, I should know. I should know. Uh, just just because I'm interested, uh, I'm going to read Candy's book too. Uh, just just because I want to know what people are saying and and. Um, you know, she sort of lays out this idea that individualism has sort of uh, taken away from this collective. And and uh, I don't know if maybe that's what you're kind of referring to is sort of like you have to sort of toe the line of, of your race. If you kind of sort of have to toe the line of your party. Um, maybe I'm mixing these things up and mixing these ideas up. But um what what is your idea of when you say individualism as opposed to what Rap and D'Angelo is when she's trying to take emphasis off of individualism? Where how do you how do you take that? How do you understand that? 
So Robin D'Angelo and the entire critical um, race tradition's problem with individualism is that to them, it's an extension of colorblindness, mm-hmm. right? Seeing people as individuals independent of their color may be all good and well, but we cannot get there in their eyes because color has and still is being used as a mechanism to oppress them. So for Robin D'Angelo, what you're doing is you're actually making it much easier to oppress people if you look at their individualism and not their color. Mm. Now, this is bullshit because, again, it assumes that all people of a certain color are oppressed. That is not a empirically verifiable claim. It assumes that disparities must be linked to racism, which is also not an empirically verified claim. In fact, there are many, there are many, many, many different causes and potential causes for disparities. As Thomas Saul, a great economist, has actually um, laid out and just discrimination and disparities. I mean, it, it, it rests on a, a range of assumptions that are just nonsensical. I'm sorry, Thomas Saul, that, that's black redneck, white liberal? Is that? Yes, that's okay. one of his books. Okay. He, he is a prolific writer. He's yeah, written he's, so many different materials, especially on this topic. Uh, on this topic. Yeah. And Discrimination and Disparities is a very good book for people who are curious okay. about the origins or the various possible origins of racial disparities in data. Um, so yeah, no, no, D'Angelo and her crowd just think that individualism is a simply a, a catch-all term, which is an extension of colorblindness, and that's bad. I use the word individualism because I genuinely believe that in our natural conditions, uh, our individualities are the most important things about us. Because from our individualities flows the principle of self-interest and self-preservation. And from self-interest and self-preservation flows the eventual social bonds we get into uh, as human beings with other people to communicate with them, to love them, to be charitable to them. And from that flows society. So quite literally, the individual is the most basic and fundamental unit of society. But that's not the only reason why they're important, because the individual is also the most basic and fundamental unit of human life. Without the individual, human life is impossible. So for me, when these racial, you know, racially possessed scholars go ahead and reject individualism, they're rejecting the very condition that is that makes our humanity possible. And they are therefore moving the premise for all of their arguments to make sense. Without humanity, all this talk of racism and racial disparities becomes just nonsensical because there's no there's no subject to them. Hmm. So no, individualism is very important, not because um, it's some contrived thing, but because it actually is a real condition and the best condition, as I mentioned before, to understand human action, human desires from. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I I think there is something to individualism, and I and and the way I always explain it is like I feel like when you're um, like for me, for instance, I, I lost a bunch of weight, and and it, just by doing this, I had lots of people in my life who saw that transformation and was like, "Wow, that really inspired me to do something." And so it leads you to believe that you can inspire people by taking yourself seriously, by you know, Jordan Peterson, clean your room, you know, get, get your room mm-hmm. in order and stuff. So it's uh, you know, I, I definitely. Definitely can see that, but I I, I do also see the side of uh, you know of community and and of of how some people you know these these different communities can get overlooked when it comes to uh, to funding and 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 I don't I don't know if it's more of a race thing than it is of a class thing or a social cla- uh, a class type of thing, but I mean definitely racism is a part of it. There is racism involved in a lot of what's going on. I'm not going to deny that there are racist people out there, but I think a lot has to do with with uh, a, a, a class system, and people are getting overlooked and and left behind. Uh, do you agree with that, or do you think that's way off? And um, and, I, and I don't even know what I really. Please, please. 
Yeah, I, I, I don't. I think, I think your, uh, your argument's a little vague. Yeah, of um, course it is. It, Cause I, I'm I, fucking, I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm I don't a musician. know what you mean. <laughs> Who's being overlooked? Who's not getting funding? Well, I'm saying, but when you look at these poor neighborhoods like South Chicago, when you look at Baltimore, when you're looking at these okay. neighborhoods that are not getting funding, schools are falling apart, you know, houses are falling apart. There is, it does seem like there is a need to take focus on these neighborhoods to sort of uplift them. And I'm not sure if it's necessarily a race thing. I'm, I'm saying right. I'm, it's looking more like a class thing to me. And, and you're shaking your head no. And maybe I just don't make sense. And maybe I'm just talking no, out no, of my, no, brother, my you, ass you're making a good proposition i just i heartily <laughs> disagree but the thing about intellection is that we can both come to different conclusions mm -hmm. and still have a fruitful conversation if yeah. a conversation produces fruit it produces something that's going to be useful for our apprehension of the idea you know the platonic dialectic between knowledge and opinion so let me just address this real quick you mentioned education let's go on education so baltimore and chicago both of those cities have one thing in common not that, not that, not that they have a lot of black people. They, they, they do. Right. They have one thing in common. The parents in those cities, it's either impossible for them to choose a school outside of their zip code, or it is very difficult for them to do so. Hmm. School choice has been shown to be the, one of the number one drivers of black success in education, period. There was a study taken out of, I believe, the Oakland Public School District. I think it was Oakland. Um, and it showed that in that area, and Oakland's a black area, and, and it's, there's poverty in Oakland. Mm. In that area, black kids in charter schools exceeded their public school peers in many areas, discipline, education, uh, educational affinity for certain subjects, college readiness. And it also showed that more of them did go ahead and go to college. I know that if you go to college, or at least this is the general status is changing. But if you go seek college, you have a higher chance of making a higher income in your life. Now, of course, you have a higher chance of having more student debt too, <laughs> which is people who folks don't, don't recognize. But generally, if you make college, if you go to college, you typically are escaping poverty. That's just like a signifier for it. Generally, now this is this is this is changing. It's changing, but that's just like the, the general signifier. Um, but there are superintendents and there are roving bands. Of, 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 of school administrators who are doing their very best to keep certain kids trapped in certain zip codes in the name of preserving public education. Well, guess what? I'm going to say it right here. I don't give a damn about public education. Mm -hmm. I give a damn about someone's ability to be individually successful and fulfilled in their life, and that requires allowing them to make choices. If they cannot make choices, they will have a chance of having a lesser, or actually, I, I, actually I can tell you, if someone cannot make choices, they will not have a, they will not reach their potential in life. They will not be able to pursue their desires in life. The will is the fountain from which everything else in life flows. Everything else that is meaningful in life flows. So school choice is a very, very powerful tool to allowing those communities or people in those communities rather to help themselves. You know, looking at a situation saying, let's just throw money at it, it's not going to help at all. Mm. Especially if there are certain underlying cultural factors that dictate the norms of a certain community. Because yeah. culture does matter. Yes, it does. Lack of fathers in the home is a big issue. I know that a lot of people talk about this, but it's a big issue. It's a big issue in certain areas. That's not to say that people who don't have fathers cannot be successful. You know, for a good majority of my life, I was actually for all of my life, I was raised by a single mother. My father was there somewhat, somewhat, but not, not, not a constant force. My mother was the constant force in my life. I think I'm doing quite fine. Mm. But because I had the drive, 
I had the energy. Not everyone has the drive or the energy. Yeah. Not everyone has that model in front of them. You know? So that's a big, I think, I think that's, a, that's a big issue. Mm. Uh, I think what fatherlessness can lead to, which could be gang affiliation, that's a big issue. Those tend to become staples in the community as well, and they promote certain kinds of activities that are not very good. I mean, there are a variety of things that are cultural that absolutely have an impact on how many African-American communities do. And those aren't talked about. Yes. Oftentimes. And, and certain academics talk about them, but most don't. But and, and to the point where you you're almost not allowed to talk about them. Where it's right. like if you do talk about them, then you're 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 doing some kind of harm to, you know, the race or you're doing harm to this collective. Uh, um, what do you think about that idea of like not bringing up certain subjects, uh, especially around race? And you even mentioned, you know, cultural things within uh, within the black community. Even, um, uh, you know, Thomas saw I, I, I saw I think I saw him on a YouTube video where he's talking about, uh, you know, the culture of like hip hop and the culture of, of learning oh, yeah. has been um you know, people, you know, are, look, why are you reading? You know, like, why are you reading that book? Like, why are you doing this? Like, uh, and I don't want to speak out a term here. I, I know that I'm not allowed to talk about this because I'm, I'm white and stuff. No, but, no, but, to hell with that. No, well, no, to hell with that. To I, hell with that. Talk about it. To tell, well, that's why problem, we're talking brother. about it. That's why we're This is talking the problem, about. my brother. This is the problem. This mm. is the problem. Because right. there are some intellectually pretentious and insular people who cannot conceptualize anyone of any race or, or, or skin color having an odd conversation about something that impacts everyone. Mm. Talk about it. To hell with that. Oh yeah, I have been. I actually got in trouble for talking about it a couple of weeks. That's ago. okay. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's no. good trouble, it, man. But it's it, good trouble. It's not good trouble when it when it's like weighing in on you and you feel like you're horrible and yeah. It's just like no, it, was, well, it, was a, it was it was it was it was you know it was a it was a. Don't was let just, these intellectual tyrants tyrannize you and make you think something about yourself. These are intellectual tyrants. Don't have an ounce of honesty in them. They have absolutely no business talking about this issue themselves. You know, every black person has a fundamentally different experience in this world. There is no one black experience that any one black person has the universal validity to comment on. That is a lie that goes against observation. It's a bullshit. Excuse my language, but it's You're bullshit. Right. So please. Well, it, it, you know, I'm sorry. Go no, on. no, no, no. It, it, it just grinds my gears. That grinds my gears. Well, oh, it, he's white. He can't talk about it. Of course, like, of course he can. Well, you know, and, and I, I, that, what happened was is that I was talking to somebody and, and she was just ra- she's not just a rapper she's actually an incredibly talented human being who I who I pissed off uh, but but you know like we're talking about certain racial issues and and you know being told you know she was telling is like if you're not black and you're not from the hood then you have no right to speak on this and uh, you know like I I see the point. I do. I do see, like, you don't know my experience, then how do you have any kind of, what do you have to add to this if you don't know what my experience is, if you've never walked a day in my shoes? Uh, You know, I was saying things like, you know, I'm married to a black woman, I have a black son, I'm half Mexican, I grew up in the hood. Like, you know, like, there is all these factors that I have experienced some of, but I do agree that, that there is a sort of privilege that comes with my skin tone. Um, Just There is? 
I would say so. I've seen it anecdotally. I've seen it. Of course, this is not something you can quantify, but it, it's but you know anecdotally seeing how people are treated, seeing how darker skinned members of my family are treated um, in specific situations by, by by bouncers. You know, getting into a club. It's like you can come in, but not you. You know, it's like it, and um, uh, using a bathroom in a in a Starbucks. I was able to use it. My wife. No, you're not allowed to use it. And and I know this is anecdotal, but I've seen, you know, I've seen enough of this and I've, you know, I've heard other people's experiences enough. I have, God, I was, I have black friends. God, that sounds stupid. Uh, but, you know, I do talk to people and I, this is what I talk about because I want to know these, these things. I know you have a big disagreement with all of this. So I, I do want to hear. May you I ask you a question? Sure, please do. Please do. If... Okay, let's say that someone came up to you and they had, let's say that their car was breaking down, okay? The car is breaking down. Okay. And, or they claim their car is breaking down because the transmission is just off. Let's say that. Okay. And every time their car had a problem, they would say, oh, that's transmission, man. It's breaking down eventually. Yeah. Every time they had a problem. Now, an ind- a prudent individual would go ahead and investigate the causes of their car, the many causes of their car breaking down, which could be numerous, could be numerous. But if someone just presumes their car is breaking down and chalks up every bad instance of their car not performing as well as it could to a single instance, they could be missing the point or the, r- the real problem. They could be laboring in ignorance. I think that when our discourse is currently saying that African-Americans are mistreated in society every single day by ubiquitous forces that white folks don't experience, we're more apt to interpret every instance of someone being rude to a black person as racism rather than as something else. Mm. That's what's going on here. It's called confirmation bias. Mm, I think assertions of white privilege are oftentimes confirmation bias. Mm. I don't think they're actually actually evidence of white privilege. Okay. White privilege is simply a a, a, a term concocted from the the halls of the woke academia who attempt to explain the sort of the the social currency of whiteness or whatever that might mean mm. in everyday interactions. Because to them, it seems illogical that a white person could have a hard life when, quote unquote, white supremacy, in their opinion, is the reason as to why black people, in their opinion, have a hard life. So what do they do? They they universalize all white people's experiences and try to say, you know what, because you have a certain skin color, you must be doing good. It's confirmation bias. And the problem with confirmation bias is that it omits certain other answers, which would possibly be the correct answer. It's confirmation bias. Hmm. There is no white privilege. There are privileges in life. Absolutely. Hmm. I mean, I am a educated person. I'm not the smartest person in the world in the world, but I'm educated. Yeah. I've gone to college. You know, I have the ability to work from home. You know, I have a podcast, I have a channel that has a growing following. I'm pretty privileged. Yeah. And I thank God every day. Because it's not none of it's me, it's all God. I'm not sure how you feel about, feel about religion, but for me, in my opinion, it's all hmm. God. Yeah. I'm privileged. But I also realize that there are people, white folks in Appalachia, who don't even have shoes on their feet, who are dealing with meth addiction and opioid addiction, 
who are getting harassed every day by the police because they're poor, who don't even have working water, who don't even have working air conditioning, who bake every summer because of their lack of material necessities. White folks in a wide area of this country, not a small area, a wide area of this country who are suffering every day. And I can recognize it, recognize that it, they are less privileged than I am. Now, some folks are saying, oh, he's not, he's, he's missing the point. No, no, no. If the point is that white folks have undue advantages in their life because of their skin color, you would expect this to be playing out universally or in most cases. But there is a wide area of the country where this is not true. And even anecdotally, there's also instances where this was not true. Hmm. There was a man somewhere in the Midwest, a white man who was on his belly and he had a cop screaming at him. This happened a few years ago. Cops shouting invective at him, saying that if you move, I will kill you, man. His pregnant girlfriend was in the other room hearing everything. And so he was crawling forward and told him to get up. So in an effort not to embarrass himself, he tried to pull up his jeans so he wouldn't, they wouldn't fall down when he got up. When he put his hand back there, all seven or eight of those cops put lead in his body. White guy. Police brutality. Here's the point. Confirmation bias is no way to understand the world. It's no way to reckon with this world honestly. And if that's the metric by which we understand things, understand race in America, we'll never get to a satisfactory answer. Yeah. So no, white privilege is nonsense. It does, it does, it does not exist. Hmm. It does not exist at all. Nope. I think I think a lot of people, you know, when you're saying that there's this historical, especially a historical bias against black people in this country. I mean, there's no denying that that there has sure, racism been. happened. Uh, it uh, happened systemically, absolutely. And and to say that this is we're living in Jim Crow times is also disingenuous. It's like uh, yes. you know, uh to say that I mean, when people are saying that it's just as bad as 1950s America, I'm just like, well, I'm married to a black woman in 1950s America. Yeah. That would have been illegal. Loving v. Virginia wasn't even a thing then. Yeah. The Supreme Court case, which authorized interracial marriage, was not even a thing then. But when you look at the history and you look how the media has framed black and brown people over time and how that this is sort of – you can – I can see – not you, but I can see how people – can be, you know, a little fed up with this, especially with negative connotation towards black oh, people. Oh, me too. And, and, yeah. Me too. And so, so I, I'm just, I can understand, I can understand where people see this because when you look on the TV, all you saw is white people. And, and when you, you know, like when you saw success, all you saw is white people. When you saw cool commercials. Really? What, back that, you know, this is what I'm saying. The Jeffersons? A historic, right. But that was. Jeffersons? Of Family course, Matters? Cosby Show. Not Cosby. Cosby Show. The Cosby Show. Yes, of course. I mean, these were huge shows, but there, but there was a lot of dominant. White was very dominant, and and and, and so I can see how people want to are, are see how uh, white people were treated differently through media, through way that society has sort of uh, shaped the idea of what black is and what brown is, Mexicans and Latinos and Asians and stuff. But uh, I don't know why I had to do this stuff. That was ridiculous. But it was. But I can see how that can come to the conclusion that white people have a little bit of a step up over other people when you're looking at this so, in a sociological term. And I know that might not be 
up your you know, head. I, I, I think that we're, we're viewing society as this large, massive organism by which we can measure everything through a single course. That's not true. Mm-hmm. Society is a very individualized, microly created thing. Mm-hmm. It's not this large organism. So that's one thing. Um, n- number two, um, I, just because there have been a lot of white folks in entertainment does not mean no, and that's that, not just that, that's not just you know, that. But but there is but there has been obvious uh, things that I can't even bring to mind right now because I'm I'm, I'm on the spot and this is, I can't make a great argument about this. But but seeing how black people are treated, seeing how black and brown people have been treated historically, and, and compared to a white people, you could see, especially with how uh, policies were made, you know, with gerrymandering and, and all these different well, well, policies well, well, that let's were put- be clear. In, sure, sure. Ger- gerrymandering is a tool used by both um, uh, white legislators and black legislators. Well, redlining, especially, especially today. Redlining. When, oh, well, red, okay, 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 okay. When you look yeah, at these yeah, historical no, things, uh, that you know, so I can see how people see how white can have a step up, and and how that there can be better. I, I have my <laughs> anecdotal conclusions, which I understand is not very scientific at all. Uh, and, and I'm not, you know, and I'm not even necessarily disagreeing with you, but I, I just, you know, like I, I see where people are coming from when they're saying that white people have a privilege. I don't know if you can quantify it, but uh, yeah, it's kind of ironic pointing out confirmation bias and then using anecdotes as evidence against statistical trends. Hmm. What statistical trends? No, exactly. you know, I'm sorry. We, racial disparities? I think we're getting. I think we're. I think Which I. Ones? I think I dipped into uh, a conversation that I uh, that I, I I wasn't aware I mean, that was going on here. Look, and, uh, uh, a lot has, of folks, yeah. a lot of folks accuse me of just saying things that have you know very little uh, merit to them. That I'm I, I'm idealistic, and I just went on the, a show with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, one of the most prominent progressives on the internet on the Young Church Network. And we had a 23 minute debate about all this stuff. Mm. And Dr. Ritchie concluded with the idea that he thought I came representing my idea as well. Mm. And he's someone who very much believes in white privilege, very much believes in wokeness. Mm. So I'm willing to talk to anyone, yeah, especially it, people who have doubts about me. I'm willing, I, I'm not, I don't care if they're PhDs. I don't care. I'll talk to them. I think what people in the chat are, are kind of lighting up about is that you're using this idea of confirmation bias as, as evidence that it doesn't work. Uh, I do want to read this highlighted message. If a black man and a white man get caught shoplifting, what is the probability of the punishment being the same? Okay, that's 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 a good point. Is when Depends. you see how people get. If you're in San Francisco, there's no probability because yeah, no one you're gets punished for shoplifting. You're good. As long as it's <laughs> I mean, not it over depends. a thousand, you're good. And, 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 and here's the problem with using disparities in in, in punishment as a means of atta- of ascertaining possibility of racism. Mm. Punishment oftentimes depends on a few things. Number one, it depends on the policies of the prosecutor in that area, and it depends on how gun-ho the police chief or the sheriff or whatever law enforcement body in that area is about certain things. If you're in Portland or Seattle, particularly if you're in uh, – if you're, I, th- I, think this is, uh, I think this is Seattle. If you're in Seattle, you can go and occupy an entire part of a neighborhood if you claim it's for social justice – and the police chief and the mayor will step down, the prosecutor will step down and not, and not do anything, even though someone got killed and people's property was being hijacked. This is the, the Chaz zone, the shop yep. zone. Yes. I mean, so you, you cannot account for the intentions of law enforcers because they differ from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Hmm. Yeah. So that's what I have to say about that. 
Okay. Uh, Papa Sweet, I was uh, I was specifically talking about the instance of the white man being killed by the police, uh, by the police officer. Terrible incident, but there are twice as many black people killed every year in America as white people when related to their population numbers. Um, by who? I'm not sure. That's Other that's, black folks? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And that, that, that's a problem. And, and so do you so and so you don't think that that is a, 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 a you don't think that that is a uh, a result of white supremacy. You don't think it's a no. result of all these, you know, redlining policies and, and, and no. these underfunded areas that get gerrymandered and, and, and things get, you know, well, districts get cut out of funding and stuff. You don't well, think that any of that is. Well, I know it's a practice that goes on, you know, common, but there has been crappy uses of that in the past. Sure. So, so gerrymandering is the product of a political system which prizes power above anything else. Mm-hmm. So, again, the attendance for gerrymandering are numerous. Sometimes they're simply used to redistrict because populations grow. That's mm-hmm. that, that's a general use of them. But many times they're used to certain like write off certain legislators from being able to be in uh, Congress. I mean, so there are many different uses of gerrymandering. I think that it's wrong to say, okay, if gerrymandering was used this one way in this particular black neighborhood, it must have been used in a racist way. Well, we have well, a lot to see about that. It's kind of hard to quantify that. Mm-hmm. Again, these are things of confirmation bias. Um, but about you know underfunded communities and things of that sort, again, I think that the issue of poverty itself is not necessarily part and parcel to the issue of race. There are folks who disagree. I don't think they are part and parcel. Do I think things like redlining and things that had, had an impact on people? Of course they did. Mm. Of course they did. Redlining has been outlawed for 53 years, though. Right. And eventually we have to uh, we have to see, okay, after redlining, many decades after redlining, is there any other factor? That can contribute or that can tell us about the rates of black poverty, the rates of black certain kinds of black actions that may not be linked to redlining. A practice which has been outlawed for 53 years is actually constantly investigated by departments of justice. There was a, a, a section of the Department of Justice that constantly investigates redlining and pursues claims that mortgages or whatever are redlining people. I mean, I I just think it's these are evidences of confirmation bias, not evidences of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Um, Raina is asking, I'm curious to know what you learned from the conversation with the progressive you named, or was it a simply, uh, simply a debate you were trying to win? <laughs> okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thanks yeah. for adding that. You're, you're, a lot of people in your audience appear to be acting in bad faith for some reason. I have no idea why. Oh, no, no, um, no. I, you uh, know what? It's because they don't agree I, with you. And, and, you and know, that's fine. Yeah. And that's yeah, totally fine. It, you know, um, not, they're. They got a mind of their own. I can't. I can't. Script queen. Of course. Of course. Script queen. No, welcome it, in. It's, it, it, it's totally fine. It's it's fine. Whenever I go before more progressive audiences, this happens in this whole. Totally yeah, fine. I'm sure. Um, I'm sure. <laughs> it, I'm it's, sure. it's totally fine. Um. So I think I learned a lot from Dr. Richard. Mm. I learned that he generally believes what he what he said he believes. I learned that he couldn't really articulate to me the cause of racial disparities. Um, he, all he could say was that, well, racism could be an answer, couldn't it? I'm like, maybe let's look at the particular situation. Then he kind of ran from that. So, I mean, I learned a few things, but I mean, I don't, um, yeah, you have your views just because I learned something does not mean I need to shed my values and agree with that person. Mm, Absolutely. Absolutely. Values and intentions that mean anything are not like Plato. 
underfunded areas implies that governments just give free improvements to one area versus another. Those areas pay for improvements through their property taxes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. Yeah, and, and, and what do property taxes fund? Public education. Mm -hmm. So we're getting back to the need for school choice. Yeah. And, and so what do you? what is your, then your suggestion for public so you're saying that we should privatize education is that what you're saying well what well, well, what i'm saying well i think that would be ideal yes mm -hmm. but what i am saying in the more short term in a more practical sense um i think that giving parents the ability to go outside of their zip code mm -hmm. and send their kids to whatever school they want to send them to especially charter schools yeah would be the best thing to do 100 percent. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, no, and, and you know, it, I mean, it's interesting. I know lots of people, my wife has benefited from that as well, you know, coming up in a, in a, in a poor neighborhood and being able to bus to a, a nice performing arts school. You know, that was something that, that she would, people benefit from that. And, and you know, she's very well educated, very well spoken to the business owner. She's amazing and she's super hot. She has a nice ass. Um, let me see. Oh, oh, oh dear. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we're 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 taking it there, Christian. We're taking it there. All right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, not 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 knocking it, man. You, go, you, go, you do your thing. Bro. You do your thing. Uh, how about All sentencing? Right. Black people are far more likely to be convicted and get longer sentences than white people for the same crime. You were addressing that a little bit about you know punishment. Yeah. Okay. This is the issue of sameness. There have been so many academics that have looked at the issue of sameness. And again, it's impossible because there are a lot of mitigating factors around any particular commission of a crime, you know, uh, including what is the prosecutor's philosophy? What is the police officer's philosophy? How was the crime committed? Sameness is statistically meaningless because no one crime is the same exact crime as any other crime. You know, even if the offense appears similar, mm -hmm. there's always distinctions in how the offense was committed yeah. and if that offense itself led to other offenses. So I don't again, that's that, that also is another statistically misleading phrase. Hmm. Oh. I, you know, I mean, like I, 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 I like that you are more about data than you are about just feelings you know <laughs> like i'm a look, look dude but I, but a, I i but i i, I i'm a student of philosophy right and it's, it's and, pretty cut and, and dry. when people talk about emotion the emotional realm is a very important part of the human experience yeah and i hate talking about data actually stats i'm not really good at stats in yeah. general i understand the concepts mm -hmm. but i hate just looking at, i hate i hate sitting there looking at all these numbers i hate but when people make data related arguments I get data-related responses. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, I, I get that. Um, not all charter schools are good. Yeah, I, I imagine. No, of course not. Not uh, all. No, and not all public schools are horrible too. That's uh, right. There's uh, variations. Some of the disparities in crime have to do with the circumstances surrounding those crimes. Someone isn't just yes. charged with having drugs, but if they ha are charged with having drugs and there is a violent act involved that will enhance the sentencing. You know, and I think a lot of people are thinking of like different different cases where it's like a white guy was charged for the same crime, black guy gets a felony, white dude gets a slap on the wrist and, and is told to have a great day as he leaves the jail. Is it because he's white though? That's 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 the idea. That's the There idea. could be many different causes. Yeah, that, uh, the prosecutor could have been feeling a little bit a little bit more generous that day. Yeah. Um, that white guy could have not had another charge that uh, that may have came about through how he committed the crime. I mean, there are many different causes. And then so when and you, racism probably is not a good catch-all cause for the things that are multivariable. Yeah, I, it, 
Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, and then so when you look at the disproportional amount of people locked up in prison system right now at being black and brown people. They're black. Yes. So you don't think that has anything to do with sort of a, a system that was systematically racist and built on a racist foundation? No. I think that has to do with um, Richard Nixon's attempt to regulate the morality of individual Americans. Uh, and this attempt was actually supported by many black legislators. So, um, for example, many black Americans are in jail right now, vast majority for nonviolent drug crimes, which is abysmal and it needs to change in my opinion. But wouldn't you um, say that that but, is a racist thing? I mean, when you're no, talking about Nixon, no, well, when no. you're talking about Nixon, like he literally was making these laws, uh, yeah, war Nixon on racist, drugs. But, but, but the war but, on drugs but, was specifically... It was bigger than race, though. It was bigger than race. So black legislators like Chuck Rangel actually took advantage of Nixon's war on drugs, and they used uh, Nixon's drug panels um, to um, direct particular initiatives towards their states to penalize the possession of certain kinds of, of, of drugs higher than other kinds. So, for example, the disparity between crack and powder cocaine, which is called racist, was actually pushed by a man called Chuck Rangel, Charles Rangel, who, who, is, who is a black New York City congressman who was very concerned about the crack epidemic that was breaking up and destroying black communities. So he decided to go ahead and penalize crack cocaine higher than mm. powder cocaine. This is a, and many members of the, of the Congressional Black Caucus actually supported that too. So actually what you have seen with the drug war is that many things have happened with good intentions but have had bad effects. And maybe those things wouldn't have happened if we would just simply have the principle of mutual respect allowing people to make their own decisions and stop penalizing drugs. I think that all drugs should be legal in my opinion. Drug crimes are the number one reason why black fathers are divorced from the home. It's wrong. Mm. It's evil. Yeah. It's immoral. But yeah. is it racist? I'm not so sure. Well, I mean, there's just – it's just that when you – like, it wasn't Nixon even, like, quoted as saying, like, this is, like, to go shut down, like, the Black Panthers and stuff? Wasn't that part of the, well, the narrative so, so, of so, that? Well, so, so, so black people and the Black Panther, Panthers are two different things. Of course. The black Panthers but, is, a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a militarized subset with a very radical ideology and a very certain view of America. They have a that very radical – That threatened many traditionalist conservatives at the time. Very I think, radical. I think, yeah. I think, and, and all of their white allies also threatened them as well. Hippies were not really like Benixon as well. Many of them were white. Yeah. So I don't think that necessarily was a racial thing per se. It was simply a, a manner of blind traditionalism. Hmm. So okay. it's important to realize. Okay. Well, it, it does still feel like it was born in, in racism. It does still I mean, feel I, like it I can't would, account for someone's feelings. I mean, right. I can't account for someone's feelings. I, I can't I do that. I understand. And you're looking at, you're trying to look at, you're trying to keep it, you're trying to keep it quantifiable, trying to keep it something that you can measure. I, I, I get that. I, I'm like that too. You know, like I, I want to know what that is. I want to know what exactly. Look, emotions are important. Emotions yeah. are important. And again, I'm a student of philosophy. I get it. Emotions are very, very, very important. Yeah. But when someone is making a data related claim, then we have to look at data. Yeah. I think he's given a little too much to plausible de deniability, like one circumstance, okay, maybe some confounding variables, trends that uphold over decades with a clear possible cause. I think we can safely say probably some racism in there. Uh, no, okay, so a trend that has occurred for, a, for decades um, that has been linked or measured by race does not necessarily mean that trend is racial. So the length of a trend does not denote a cause. It denotes a length. <laughs> yeah, okay. It denotes a length. 
then we have to go ahead and find that cause. And there have been plenty of proposed causes for certain things in black America, like the welfare rate or whatever, there have been poverty rate, plenty. There have been plenty that, that are not necessarily linked to racist actions. Yeah. Um, did, wait, did Cathasaurus come in here? Oh, yeah, there you are. Hey, Cathasaurus, welcome in. Um, the Let's see, emotion versus empirical evidence. Yeah, and otherwise numbers just lie. <laughs> is, that what, is that what you said? Wait a second. It's wild how much the leadership shifted stuff, but like to look at data requires a data analysis background. And, and like, that's the thing. Uh so, for instance, when I was talking to that, and I know you got to leave here soon, so we'll we'll wrap this. Yeah, four forty-five. Okay, um, you know, I'm not even going to open that book of worms. Then let let let's just sort of let's just sort of keep going here. Um, I have actually because I saw you uh, on. Um, oh yeah, I remember what I wanted to do. Uh, Cartagena doesn't think that you answered his question about only teaching the white side of the white white history. And and I think you did address it where you kind of were saying that what is white history? There is no white history. There is no white history. So I, I, Cartagena, just so you know, that was his answer. <laughs> um, someone, uh, Script Queen, uh, also the Black Panthers themselves changed internally due to shifting. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, okay, so let me look at this. I, I got, I just get into, hold on, what? To be clear, I respect your mind. I just get into it for a good debate. Like pro, uh, like a proper philosopher, yeah, yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with a proper. Debate. Am I not a proper philosopher? No, I think you are. I think he's saying he's saying that he respects your. Okay. He respects you. He respects your mind. It's traditional history versus I reality. Um, yeah, traditional history versus reality. Okay, okay. I respect you, Christian. There you go. There it is. I appreciate it, but I do. I, do. I appreciate it. And and you know. Me and Behind That Suit has gotten into things where we don't agree because Behind That Suit is even more liberal than I am, you know. So we'll have these debates back and forth a lot. Um, some people are assuming that white people and black people from impo impoverished areas that are hit hard with crime and poverty behave the exact same way. The difference in behavior and that neighborhood culture can account for why a random white person isn't treated the exact same as a black from that circumstance. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Um, so let me let me look at my awesome list of questions that I didn't even get a chance to break out because we just went right into it. So um, let me see. Uh, do you? Oh God, this is for five minutes. This is a great. Do you think that there is sort of a uh, a moral thirst that people are sort of latching onto when you think of like wokeism as sort of replacing this absence of of religion? Do you think that people hmm. are? Do you think that the, that people are sort of gravitating? And this is not my idea. Obviously, this has been being talked about. But I'm just interested in your uh, what you think about it. Uh, do you think that that the woke movement is sort of the new opiate for the masses, and 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 do you think mm. that it's um, do you think that there is a moral hunger uh, that that wokeism sort of feeds? And wow. you got five minutes to answer. Go. <laughs> well, Nietzsche, Nietzsche, that that nut job. He said that, that religion was the opium. Yeah, he was he was he was crazy. He said that he said that religion was an opium for the masses. Wait, a second, I thought that the, was the, Marx. The, the, that, that's wasn't, his, wasn't that Marx? No, okay, that, that, that probably was Marx. It was either Nietzsche or Marx. Both of them had very terrible views of religion. <laughs> like what, like, like Nietzsche said that you know that that man and the idea of human agency had to replace God. The entire idea of God is dead. Yeah, Marx probably said it as well. But anyway, uh, both of them had the same sentiments. And and 
I mean, here, here's what I think. I don't think wokeism is pervasive enough mm. to be the quote unquote opium for the masses. There are still many people who don't believe it and don't even know what it is. Right. So no, religion has had immense cultural power and force in the formation of American history mm. or religious principles, at least. Although I do not believe America is a Christian nation. I think that we are a, a nation of, of, of values of, of secular values which can be justified on a Judeo-Christian basis and perhaps are even stronger when they are justified on a Judeo-Christian basis, but they are not necessarily uh, uh, necessitated to be justified on a Judeo-Christian basis. Um, and so, no, I, I don't think that that wokeness is the opiate for the masses. I think that wokeness is simply another ideology, which is certainly gaining steam, certainly making noise, um, but leaves a lot to be desired and a lot of people, a lot of people are seeing that. Yeah, yeah, I... I, I, I... Uh, I, you know, plus like, wokeness is more temporal as well. Wokeness is mm. dealing with the 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 situations of black existence for like the past hundred, two hundred years. Religion has dealt with the very metaphysical considerations of the universe, of human life, of existence for like thousands of years. Mm. So that's also something as well. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know. Like, have you had blowback from other black folks when you yes. talk like this? Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. Is, is that like? Did you have did you have a hard time in in, in school? I mean, like I assume that high you, school. That you, so, uh, you know, you don't have to get into personal stuff like that. But I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to understand, you know, where you're coming from and who you are. Yeah. In, in I, the, I in the three it, minutes, and that we I get called an Uncle Tom all the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah I get called a, a ruckus all the time. I get called a tool and a sell all the time. Uh, I get called and it, it, these things are fine, man. Look, when you're speaking, when 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 you are doing your best to speak the truth, you're going to get called things. Mm. So I have no problem being called these names because if mo most folks cannot muster logical and rational, rational arguments against what I'm saying. And if they do, they tend not to insult me very much. And if they do insult me, they're not someone I'm going to discord with in the first place. Mm. But yeah, I get called all kinds of names. Yeah. And I actually kind of embrace them. Uncle Tom, I love that. Love that. Because, you know, Uncle Tom was actually someone who sacrificed himself to make sure that his, in the, in the story, Uncle Tom's Cabin, to make sure that the people who he cared about were all right. He's mm. someone who had, who had physical weakness. Uh, James Baldwin, the, the writer, called him emaciated, but he had spiritual fortitude. Mm. And if you have spiritual fortitude, you can stand against a thousand men because spiritual fortitude is the ability to understand the world, interact with the world in a way that is much stronger than physical strength. Because physical strength is waning, hmm. but spiritual fortitude is a little bit more long-lasting. Yeah. yeah. So I actually embrace the term being called Uncle Tom because I was saying I have spiritual fortitude. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. There is a, there is a weakness that is flooding the 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 world in physical strength. You know, I'm not trying to fucking call anybody weak or anything, but I but there is sort of a lack of strength, like physically, that I'm seeing in in this country where, I mean, physically and mentally, it, it just seems like the country is sort of. Uh, I don't know, going crazy, like literally losing its mind. And, and I don't, man, I don't know how to fix that. And I guess that's not my job. The black community's interpretation of Uncle jo Tom's cabin is based off the play version, not necessarily from the book. Huh. I didn't know that. Is, did, you, did, did you know that? I don't Maybe I, I, I don't. Oh yeah, <laughs> script queen. You know what, Christian? Uh, I, I, there's no sense of talking to anything else. You gotta go. And I. I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking to me. Uh, I know the chat was getting a little spicy there, Raina, and uh, you know, uh, but I appreciate that. And I, it's I had, all right. I had a great time talking to you. I, you know, like I, I got a lot Likewise. to think about. And uh, 
I, I wish you the best on your journey. I, I love that you, you know, you're a young man who's doing his thing and, and uh, I, I love it. You're an entrepreneur and you got your channel going and, and we might not agree on everything, but I, I think you're a well-spoken person and uh, you have a lot of good ideas that can be gleaned, even if you are a fucking lefty like me. So I, I, I appreciate your time. Hey, my no, friend. no, look, 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 dude, um, your, your political opinions do not, uh, in most cases, political opinions are not descriptive of who you are as a person, your character. Yeah. So in most cases, I don't think they are. Now, some people may disagree. Left especially might disagree. But I don't <laughs> believe they are. Um, so, no, I enjoy this. I didn't know I was going to have such a, such a massive pushback from the audience. But that's, <laughs> I didn't either. That's all right. I didn't either, uh, honestly. I uh, really uh, didn't uh, think. That's fine. I mean, a lot of people were saying that I'm living in a dreamland and, you know, all this stuff. Hey, that's fine. Look, I... I Every black intellectual who breaks outside of the progressive mold gets called this stuff. Yeah. Even someone like Thomas Saul, who has gotten degrees from Ivy League universities and has had peer reviewed articles based on many of the arguments about racial disparity, he's still called names. Yeah. So, you know, I'm in good company. I don't mind. It used to bother me a lot. It doesn't bother me anymore because I'm on a, uh, as the Blue Brother said, I'm on a mission from God, and I'm going to not stop until I make sure that it's finished. God bless, brother. Um, Lizzie, Carter Hannon wants to throw in one last thing, and he highlighted it, so I, I, I got to read it, and I'm not trying to be, but Christian basically spews the traditional arguments that are a false reality. Yeah. Easy to, it's easy to dismiss something without mm -hmm. actually engaging with it. Well, Cartagena, I, 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 I don't necessarily agree with you, Cartagena, and uh, I, 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 but thank you for using your channel points to do that. Christian, I know you got to go. Thank you so much, man. And I, I'll be, I'll be watching your videos for sure, man. I, I enjoy your videos, and uh, and yeah, I, I, I'll be in your chat probably one of these days. So. Have a great rest of your day, and um, I, I'll talk to you shortly. Uh, an audio version will be coming out of this as well, so I'll send you all new stuff. So, All right, man. All right, thank you. Have a great Appreciate rest it. of your day. Yeah. Have a nice day. Bye. so much christian i really do appreciate you coming on the show and i, I again i hope that uh, we can go forth into the world and you know uh put this behind us and i would love to have you back on the show and maybe under different circumstances where you know i i uh i reign in the chat a bit <laughs> Because I don't want my guests feeling, uh, I, I don't like it when my guests feel like attacked or anything. And, and that's that's how I kind of got the vibe that he felt attacked. And, and I mean, he just, uh, you know, again, uh, much respect to Christian. Go and check out his website, ChristianJWatson.com. Go check out his YouTube and his social media platforms. All the links are in the show notes. So please, please, please go support your boy, Christian Jay Watts. I do have to say, though, uh, like I was saying, that I probably could have reined it in with the chat a little bit after feeling the vibes of the situation. Uh, I do ask for discourse in my channel. I do ask for the chat to call me out, call out guests, because we're here to uh, discern information, not get caught in echo chambers, because that's stupid. What, what do we learn by just repeating the same bullshit over and over? So I, I, I do try to introduce different ideas that would normally be 
put on a uh, liberal, quote-unquote liberal type of platform such as mine. Uh, with that being said, maybe I should have been a little bit more attentive and, and, you know, maybe said a couple things like, hey guys, let's give Christian a chance or like, hey, let's not be so hard on him. I honestly don't think they were hard on him at all, but his reaction to the show uh, says otherwise. He definitely was in his Discord t- <laughs> talking shit. He said he felt ambushed and shit. I'm like, dude, this was a conversation. I just wanted to talk to you. I'm sorry that the chat fucking, you know, had your ass, man. But um, it, that's the thing about this whole arena. Um, it, there's going to be pushback, especially when someone ends the conversation by saying that he uh, that he likes being an Uncle Tom or likes he likes the character Uncle Tom and he doesn't mind being like Uncle Tom. Look, I'm not trying to judge him for what he's saying. I, I, I honestly, if that's how he feels, that's great. You know, good for you. But when you say things like that, people are going to react. And Christian, you have to know this. Like, you know that when you go on these public forums that people are going to judge what you say because it goes against what they think fundamentally. And and you have to know this. I, I understand that you're looking at things in a rational, data-driven sort of mentality, but that's not the world we live in. And so to sit there and be offended or, or be, you know, taken back by or feel caught off guard by people who disagree with you when you do say some incendiary shit to some people, not to me. I actually really enjoy Christian's commentary and his perspective. And I still listen to his and I still watch his videos despite him probably not caring for me and my community as much. So, um, you know, whatever, it, that's on him. I kind of want to read these tweets because I think they're, they're, uh, they're pretty sweet. <laughs> uh, not that the tweets are sweet, but I, I, um, I'm just, you know, like it, the Twitter is kind of new to me. And I'm really interested in, uh, and I've been just sort of participating in it. And uh, wow, it is just a shit show over there. So let me go to what he actually said. So um, what was the actual? So he released a video uh, about uh, why the left hates black free thinkers like me. And uh, that, and again, I like Christian because he is a free thinking human being and he doesn't uh, adhere to the color of his skin and 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 his and what he identifies as sexually you know like he doesn't stick to these and that's why i like him is because he has this individualist approach to things and he's very data driven i really like that now that can go too far because you can go too far into the data and sort of cut yourself off of emotion and data and emotion and feelings do kind of exists somewhere together in, in when you're talking about an overall societal effect um uh, so I, I i don't know i'm still trying to figure shit out folks i respect christian because he is a young guy who has his shit you know his thoughts together but i do think where his youth shows is his inability to take criticism or pushback uh this whole video is him going through comments on his appearance on the young turks and and you know going through the comments and reading how racist some of these left-leaning people can be which is disgusting it's 
an absolutely disgusting thing. It's great content for sure. And Gothic shared it on on Twitch, so he definitely got some great traction with it. And I, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to tell anybody how to do that. But when you see how much he reacts to criticism and 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 be and pushback you can see his age shine through because anybody who's been in this game for long enough knows that criticism and pushback are come with it no matter what and and, and it, no matter what side of the aisle you're leaning on in this arena there's always pushback and so uh, let me just read what what the what happened here on the tweet here I'm gonna probably read this on the on the Twitch feed as well because I, I find this super interesting. And again, I, I, I respect Christian and I am a fan of Christian. I, I and I follow what he's you know, like I, I really dig what he does. So this is all I respect, Christian. Much love. I respect the shit out of you. But you do have to get over this shit. <laughs> this like petty little like I don't like what when people question what I have to say. It's going to happen, and it's going to keep happening. Uh, everyone, this is perhaps my most important video yet. I recap my experience on the Young Turks and reveal why the left tends to disdain non-conforming black thinkers. This is a must-watch. Please like and share the video everywhere. I did, uh, because it was a good video, but uh, again, it's just him going through his comic se comment section uh, uh, in YouTube. And if anybody knows anything about YouTube is stay the fuck out of the comment section, especially if they're talking about you. So, uh, but you know, I understand. I get in the comment section too. It can be hurtful. Uh, and it can be frustrating, especially when he's trying to come at things at such a, um, you know, a, uh, what is it, a, a academic. He comes things at an analytical, academic way of thinking. And I, I appreciate that. But again, sometimes it's it, it, you kind of uh, cut yourself off from the the emotion side which i know that 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 says like emotions are not facts or f facts are not feelings i get that but they are intertwined in how we approach uh social issues in this country so you do have to keep that in mind when you are talking about these things but you know christian you do what you do i i i love what christian does but you have to get over this like you know why do they hate me type of thing it's 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 just off-putting uh so I, I watched the video it's not bad you know it's a little cringy um but it, it's fine it's it's cringy because of the things that the left the leftists are saying in his in his uh, in the comments um so I respond, I watched the video and I respond, I said, it's interesting that the left calls the right racist, but will turn around and say the most heinous racist comments in the name of equality. I was like, okay, that's not a horrible thing to say, right? So he responds, you'd know all about, you'd know about that, wouldn't you? I think some of your audience is what I was talking about. So, um, you know, I, I, I took that as, as kind of, kind of like a kind of rude i don't know it's text so like that could just be like you know you would know about that wouldn't you i don't know i took it as like you would know about that wouldn't you i took it as like a snarky little reply um so i said get past the b 
BD. Oh, God. And focus on the message. Oh, get past the bullshit and focus on... Oh, man. I'm such an asshole. I didn't even spell shit right. Get past the bullshit and focus on the message. Despite my audience, I still dig what you do. I think you're going to have a hard time in this arena if you can't get past assholes. And then he says, oh, I can get past him. And I've been doing this for a year plus. I know what I'm dealing with. But it's even better when you can make an example out of them. And I said, well, it did make great content. So, um, you know, it ended there. And it wasn't anything terrible, you know. Like, he was being respectful. But um, the thing is that he likes to say is, like, you know, I know he's trying to get past his age. Because I think he is 21, maybe 22. Uh, he, He talks like he's fucking in his 80s. So... You know, whatever. There it is. Uh, anyways, Christian, again, I just want to make sure that everyone knows that I respect what Christian does. And I am a fan of what he says. Uh, I don't always agree with everything that he says. Uh, there's some real, you know, there's some topics that we just will probably never agree on. But we agree on a lot. So that's that's the that's the thing that sucks about this is because the conversation that me and Christian have is pretty awesome and then the chat kind of comes in and it's not like they ruin it but it definitely changes the tone of of Christian and of the conversation so you know just expect that <laughs> it gets kind of fun it gets kind of spicy on this one but uh, not nothing too crazy I mean nothing that we haven't tackled before we talk a lot about like CRT or critical race theory and uh, some other stuff <laughs> critical race theory and stuff that's what we talk about so Christian is coming up here shortly uh, everybody, remember, go and follow Christian on all his social media platforms and also on um, uh, 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 at his website, which is, hold on, I want to make sure I get this right, Christian J. Watson, that's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-J-W-A-T-S-O-N.com. Go check out his website. Go check out his YouTube channel. Um, uh, again, he has great content. Uh, none of what I just said, sh- you guys should take as a, as a, uh, as a me trying not to get you to listen to him because I definitely like what he does. I just we had a little issue. That's all. We just had a little issue. Enough of that stuff. Let's move on. Uh, go and check out Random Mystique's latest L, uh, latest single. Where are you now? You can find it at Spotify, Title, Google Play, anywhere you stream your music. Go and check it out. RainaMystique.com. Find Raina on Twitch four days a week, Mondays through Thursday, 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. ish Eastern Standard Time. Find We Speak English Good on Twitch Mondays and Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And that actually we have a cool thing coming up. Oh no, we already missed it. Never mind. <laughs> Uh, I was going to say, we streamed last night, but so there's nothing to see in the future. Anyways, uh, yeah, so that's it, everybody. Um, go and buy merch and do stuff. And I got to move on with my life, and I'm going to yawn into your ear. So there it is uh, for, the, for the 1% of you who stayed to the end. Congratulations. All right, guys, I will talk to you next time. Be good to your fellow human beings. HJ is for everybody. Blah, blah.